Hi, and welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Uh, today, I have an interview with Blake Lavelle, who's the founder of SoutheastHoops.com and the host of the Marching to Madness uh, podcast, one of the, the biggest SEC basketball experts um, that that we have. And he's going to join me, and we're going to do a pretty deep dive in, into the SEC, which, which could be the league's it could be one of the best leagues in the country this year. So um, I hope you'll uh, enjoy. Hello? Hey, man. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Can you hear me okay? I hear you great. Okay, good deal. You hear, you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, good. Um, Blake, I, I mean, I really appreciate you you joining me. Sure, man. No, I'm happy to come on. Uh, you know, I love people who love basketball, and especially SEC basketball. As you know, it doesn't get talked about near enough, but it's starting to get there. So, <laughs> so uh, just tell everybody that that's – uh, going to be listening where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at uh, southeasthoops.com. Uh, that's for all the written stuff, the podcast, all that fun stuff, and on Twitter at the Blake Lovell. So there's plenty of plenty of stuff happening right now as uh, the season approaches. Make sure make sure y'all go ahead and and get out there and follow Blake, um, who I think kind of a trailblazer on the on the <laughs> SEC baseball coverage front and could be a really good year for for him and he's somebody you you want to follow for sure yeah it's um I appreciate that and it is I mean it's something where I think we just looked back a couple years ago and I've been saying that since sort of we started the site but it just felt like we were close to kind of that turning point in terms of the league really taking a big jump forward I don't know that I thought it was going to happen as fast as it has but I think that just kind of speaks to how well things are going just from a coaching standpoint where you have all these guys in here that are recruiting as well as they are. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's made for a, a pretty deep league and what will probably be one of the deeper leagues in the country this year. Let's, uh, you know, I want to talk about, obviously we're having you on to talk about it and, and it's a weird, kind of a weird place to start, but I think let's, let's start with Vanderbilt and Missouri today, just because they're in the news. Um, the Vanderbilt, Obviously, a really good piece by Brian Hamilton at the Athletic about the two freshmen, uh, Darius Garland and and uh, Simasola Shatu, who I am going to struggle with the last name all year. You got um, it. That's it. <laughs> uh, you know, it it feels like this version of Vanderbilt will be a lot more difficult to defend. There was sort of a one size fit all, fits all way to defend Vanderbilt the first couple years under Bryce Drew and maybe this is the team that can make the breakthrough even if they're a little ahead of schedule I think so and I think the biggest thing is this will finally be a year where you see Bryce Drew's offense as he wants it uh we know how you know we look at coaches when they come into new spots it takes a little while to put their system in because if you try to put everything in right away then you have a roster that is not necessarily familiar with that and there's an adjustment period and you can ask Bryce Drew that when he came in that first year, he thought that, you know, they'd be able to kind of speed things up, put in what they wanted to right away. But as they struggled, 
he's like, look, we got to go back to kind of what they knew before. And now that he has a roster of, of younger guys that he feels like are kind of the future of that program, he's going to be able to put in his system much better. They're going to play faster because they do have somebody like Garland who's going to be able to get up and down the court and just really change everything. I mean, he's going to be able to penetrate just the way Bryce Drew wants it, kicking out. That's what everything's kind of about with their offense. They want to be able to spread the floor, which I know we hear that a lot now with pretty much all coaches. It's like it's the modern way of basketball. Spread the floor. Your big guys can step out and shoot. And I think they got, they've got all the pieces now. It's just they're still going to be young. They're still going to rely on freshmen and sophomores. They have some older guys, uh, newcomers that are going to add some experience like Matt Ryan and Yanni Wetzel. But uh, this is a team to me that's very intriguing, and it would not be surprising at all, I think, to, to see them back in the NCAA tournament. Is is because of all the attention on on the trio of freshmen, is a guy like Saban Lee somebody that, that people really aren't paying attention to and, and probably could be one of the players in the league that makes a huge leap? Absolutely, and I've talked about him a lot this offseason, and it's just – I think you can go back to last year, and it's easy to kind of just brush off Vanderbilt's season last year because of how bad they were. Um, but if you look individually at all the players on that team, and who progressed the most, I don't think there's any doubt that it was Saban Lee in terms of what he brought to the table, being as effective as he was as a freshman. And now he's got that chemistry with Garland, and it's going to allow both of those guys to be even better because they're both, I think, going to play really well off of each other, and they both can penetrate. I think as long as Saban Lee continues to expand his, his shot from outside, he could be one of the better guards in the league this year, even as a sophomore, I think. And, it, yeah, it's just you have a roster filled with so many different interesting pieces, and everybody looks at the freshmen, but there are still some guys on this roster like Saban Lee, like another sophomore in Max Evans, uh, that really can, can make a big difference. And I think that's where Vanderbilt's going to be able to kind of make their mark this year and be able to stay uh, you know, near that top half of the SEC. Let, let's shift to, to Missouri and obviously the – the devastating news about Jonte Porter. Um, it was already going to be a year where I think because they defended so well last year, there, there was sort of this expectation, I think at least that, that they'd have that Kwanzaa Martin identity of a good defensive team, but there's still questions about the points and they I'm certainly expected a big leap from Jonte Porter. I mean, this has got to be a devastating blow in a league this tough. It is, and, uh, you know, the first thing, you know, obviously people start asking, well, where's Missouri going to be now and all this, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm more concerned probably with just looking at Jonte Porter's outlook now just as a player and just, you know, it's just you hate to see something like that. And and the thing is, we see this stuff every year, and, you know, it seems like it always happens somewhere. You get a player that just goes down in one of these exhibitions and a scrimmage, and it's like your whole season changes. And that kind of feels that way for Missouri now because they were going to rely on him. Uh, he was going to be one of the more impactful, I think, forwards in the entire country. You take him out of the mix, and it's like, what's next? Uh, Jeremiah Tillman, who I've been really high on, he's obviously got to take another big step forward. I mean, I already thought he was going to be able to do that, but now you're talking about changing his role dramatically. And same with Kevin Perrier. Um, and it just means that all these freshmen they have and the newcomers, they've all got to be able to just step up right away now. And I think that puts Missouri in a really tough spot. Uh, I don't necessarily think it was like last year where they lose Michael Porter and it's like, well, what's going to happen? You still looked at the roster. 
Jonte was still there. Tillman was still there. Cassius Robertson was there. Uh, Jordan Barnett was there. I don't see that same kind of depth on this roster, and that is very concerning, like you said, in a league <laughs> like this where the room for error is very little. And I already kind of thought Missouri was sort of a, a bubble type of team. I thought they probably would have been able to make the NCAA tournament maybe as the eighth, ninth best team in the SEC. Uh, but now it's like when you compare them to everyone else, it's, it's really tough uh, to see them staying in that spot. So th- this this will be the boring part that that everybody can fast forward through. But but it was, we we did our our second episode. We kind of glossed over some of the some of the SEC a little bit before we knew we'd dive more into detail with you. But we didn't really talk about Kentucky. Yeah, and and the reason that we didn't was they're always there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know, I was trying to look at Kentucky a little bit, and and I guess the question I have is it it was yet again a a top 25 efficiency offense, but barely. Yeah. Um, it was really, really relying on Shea Gilgis Alexander. And when he wasn't right, they were kind of stagnant offensively a little bit. Um, is, is the idea that that won't be the case this year, just because we expect jumps from, from Quay green and Nick Richards, or is it, is it that these incoming freshmen are better and more ready or sort of, all of the above. Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of all of the above. And then you add Reed Travis, who is a player that Kentucky simply hasn't had. I mean, they haven't had a senior guy, an older guy that is one of the better players in the country. And just right. you all of a sudden add him onto a roster like that that's already built. We know even with all that youth, if you take him off that roster, Kentucky's still a top 10 type of team. And it's like you add him now to that, who I think is probably an SEC player of the year candidate. If you had to ask me today, I may have a hard time putting someone else over Reed Travis. Now, Grant Williams would have something to say about that, and maybe I'd end up going that route. But I just think he's going to be that good, and maybe his numbers aren't 20 and 15 or anything like that just because of how many other players are on that team that are going to contribute. But he's really good. And then you combine that with what I think is going to be a better shooting team. That seems like the thing we always talk about every year, and it's like the running joke. But it's like, okay, who's who's next up to try to play a zone against Kentucky? And it's like, <laughs> I mean, it seems like we go through that every year. It's like, well, right. this team played well. I think Georgia or somebody, it was last year, year before. It's like, you know, you just kind of saw Georgia do some things against them. And it's like, well, maybe everybody else can kind of follow some of this and be able to kind of uh, work off of it and tweak some things. Well, I don't know that you're going to be able to play them like that this year. There's going to be teams that are going to have to do it because they're not going to be able to, be able to you know, match their front court depth and things like that. But having a freshman like Tyler Hero coming in um, and seeing how well, you know, like Quade Green can, can develop from outside too, I just think they've got all the pieces. And I'm not going to compare them to the, you know, the undefeated team of a couple of years ago that lost that game. Uh, but this will be one of his better teams there, I think, just in terms of just the pure depth they have on the roster because they are too deep pretty much at every single position. In terms of and, – and Florida fans are going to be familiar with Reed Travis. He's a guy that, that really whipped Florida yeah. PK-80 last year. Although, you know, the Gators were in a similar spot to Missouri in that, you know, we kept waiting for John Igbunu to come back, and it, it never happened. Yeah. Um, but – but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's got to be the thought with Kentucky is that there's just there's finally senior leadership, and and really the last time 
they had anything remotely like that, they they cut down the nets. Yeah, it's again. I don't think we really expected something like that. We were all we all the attention is always on the fresh. Got them. You're like, okay, well, I could see EJ Montgomery or, uh, you know, guys like that, Ashton Hagens and Emmanuel Quickly and all these different guys. Kelton Johnson. I mean, he's he's probably the best freshman of the group. But it's like you just look around that entire roster, and even without putting Reed Travis's name in there, you've still got a team you feel like can can contend for a national championship. And now. Experience matters. We always say that. And, and having a player like that who, you know, was the best, one of the best players in the Pac-12, now he moves over, is going to be one of the best players in the SEC. Um, and just it's invaluable to have that kind of experience. And, and John Calipari was talking about sort of his mindset. Coming into Kentucky, he's got the right mindset. Uh, he's not there, you know, just to try to get points and score. He's there because he wants to win a national championship. Uh, and that's a that's a good mindset to have for what's going to be the leader on your team. Is there a uh, is there is there a team that that there's a lot of expectation on that you feel like is in a position to to underachieve a little bit? I mean, I have one in mind, but I was kind of interested in your <laughs> on your view on it. I, I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus. <laughs> See, and I thought about that, and you know, I think if you look at Let's say the top, well, let's just say the top five, because that's kind of, you know, the, the top five to me is pretty consensus, and you could put them in different order when you look at Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU. Now, that's the preseason top 25 that came out today. Those are the top five teams in there. I would probably have a hard time. Uh, I would maybe swap Florida with one of those two teams, maybe Mississippi State, LSU. I don't know, because – it's always hard for me to do the rankings before the year because look at what happened Sunday night. It's like Jonte Porter goes out for the year, and it's like, well, your entire 4,000-word you know, preseason power rankings post like I did a year ago is completely destroyed because something like that happens. And so I, it's hard for me. I mean, you could see – I think people could make the case for like Mississippi State and LSU just because Mississippi State still has a weakness in terms of shooting the ball. LSU is – we talked about Vanderbilt earlier – LSU is a team that is still going to rely on younger guys, even if they're really, really good younger guys. Um, And I don't know. Like, it's hard to pick up. This is a year where it's probably as hard as it's ever been to pick apart some of these top teams and say, I can see that team, you know, kind of falling flat on its face. Because I think that's how deep these teams are in terms of a depth standpoint. That's how good I think some of these teams can be. And I just think that there's probably six maybe seven SEC teams that are second weekend caliber teams. And to me, that makes it really hard to say, well, I could see them disappointing because when you just look at these teams on paper before we actually see them play the games, it's so much, there's so much to like. And so it makes, right. it, kind of hard. It, makes it very difficult. I think, yeah, and, and the one that we talked about um, was Mississippi State just because of, of the the questions of, in terms of how efficient they'll be on offense, yeah. it always kind of always kind of surround Ben Allen teams for being fair. Uh, yeah. But but I, you know, when's the last time you had a guy like Eric Holman? <laughs> right. You know, that, that, exactly. That's the thing, and that, that's such a difference maker for for what he you know normally wants to do. I, we are we are the 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 sole Florida basketball podcast. Gator fans. Uh, you know they're a little chippy. Yeah. To be to, to be frank about it, they 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 feel like the program 
doesn't necessarily get the national respect that it deserves, although I think that's not true. I think basketball people basketball people really do appreciate Florida. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little more broad culture based, but but is Florida a team that maybe is kind of lying a little bit in the weeds just because that's a lot of production returning. And it seems to me that the argument for why Florida won't be great is Chris Chios is gone when maybe it really should be they have the hardest schedule in the country. Yeah, exactly. And I do think, you know, that's what I said. If you talk about those top teams, I could put Florida ahead of Mississippi State and LSU and feel like I'm pretty – I'm okay. Like, like I would be okay with that because I do think that's kind of what separates those teams like that. Uh, Now, I do feel pretty good about the top three, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Auburn. But I I could put Florida right there pretty close because I I just think about it, and what you said is what I think most people are looking at. Losing a guy like Chris Chioza, who was a leader – on and off the court, he was someone that you felt like in any situation, if he had the ball in his hands, he would be able to make a play uh, on one way or the other, whether it's getting the steal on defense against Missouri, uh, whether it's you know, doing something crazy on offense with a shot like he had against Wisconsin. It's like you just felt like thing, good things were going to happen. Now when you take that off the court, it's like, well, who's going to replace that? Well, I got a pretty good idea, and I think this guy's pretty good, and that's Andrew Nimhart, who, uh, to me, is going to be one of the better freshmen in the SEC this season. And even him, as highly rated as he was, I'm not sure he's getting the type of attention, notoriety that he should be at this point because I think he can be a complete game changer for them. Uh, when you combine what they have coming back with Jalen Hudson, he's going to take some of the pressure off of him. Uh, it's all about the front court, I think, because there's a lot of unknowns there. Uh, we know what Kivarius Hayes can do. We know what Keith Stone can do. How Chase Johnson, how Isaiah Stokes, they come back into the mix, I think it's very intriguing to watch. Uh, I just want to see a Florida team like this just be more aggressive, I think, instead of maybe relying on jump shots a lot, uh, even as good as they are from, from a shooting perspective. I mean, Kayvon Allen, I think his percentages will go back up. He was kind of inconsistent last year. Uh, but they're going to shoot the ball well, but I think in times where maybe they're having an off night, you want to see them be able to attack the paint, uh, get their big guys some work in there. If they can do that, be, be physical night on night out basis. Look, I, Florida's a, to me a, a top 20-ish type of team right now, um, and, and they're a team that has an even higher ceiling just because we know what Mike White's been able to do with them thus far. What, what's your view on, you know, What's your view on the job that White's done replacing Donovan? And just a long view. I mean, that it's such an impossible task. Yeah, and it seems like he's he's done it about as well as as could possibly be hoped for. It is, and I think maybe outside of Florida fans, people on the outside, once he took over, I think the expectation was that well, you know, Florida's going to kind of take a step back for a while. Uh, because there's no way anybody can do what Billy Donovan did. And, and no, Mike White hasn't won back-to-back national championships. It's gonna be, <laughs> you know, it's going to be really hard to do that. If I'm being honest, it's going to be tough. Uh, but still, <laughs> the thing is, it's like, you know, they always say, don't, don't step into a great man's shoes. Well, that's what Mike White did, and he's still been able to keep the momentum going. Look at the recruiting, which we've talked about a lot now. I mean, look at the class he has coming in this year. Look at the class he's already built for next year. And he's continuing to find a way to keep that momentum going. 
And he just continually has him in position to be near the top of the SEC. And I think especially now with the state of the league as it is, that's all you can ask for. Uh, because, you know, maybe 10 years ago, the SEC was nowhere near as tough as it is now. And now he's being able to keep them right there near the top uh, pretty much every single season uh, with where they are now and knowing the talent that they have coming in, he's going to be able to keep that going. And so I don't think he gets enough credit. Uh, I know the expectation after winning those national championships is to get back there and win another one. Uh, But like we said, it's just getting tougher and tougher every year in college basketball to do that. Uh, but I just – he is. He's done a tremendous job, and I still don't think he gets enough credit for it. No, I mean, Florida fans are, are crazy as it relates to all sports, but it's, it's, yeah. it's amusing sometimes to hear the, <laughs> the backlash to White, and then you look at, you know, you look at Florida's schedule last year, and I think this year they have Michigan State, Butler, West Virginia, Florida yeah. State, I mean, and Atlantis. Yeah. So, and they've got a brutal SEC schedule. That's the one thing I've pointed out. When I mm-hmm. look at the SEC schedule this year, if you go in and look at Florida's, I think it's their their entire February. Like, it is absolutely brutal. I think every team they play in February, which I think Missouri was among that group, maybe now we kind of downgrade uh, them a little bit. But every team they played in February was all the teams that I thought were going to make the NCAA tournament out of the SEC this year. So they didn't play any of those bottom four teams. Uh, bottom five teams, however you want to look at it. And I look, kept looking at it. I was like, my goodness, this is going to be brutal for them. Uh, but it's going to get them ready for March. And I think they're they're no stranger to playing that kind of schedule now. So it's only going to help them. Um, I guess two more. The the we, It might be Vanderbilt. We may have already talked about it. But is, is there a team that kind of looks like – and maybe it's Florida, you know, that, that kind of plays the, the Tennessee last year role where – they're not or is the league just too good for that to happen again yeah and yeah i've been trying to find that team because i think someone asked me that probably six months ago you know as soon as one season's over it's like all right who's gonna be next year's tennessee and i'm like i I don't know yet like i'm not sure but i do think when you look at it um if vanderbilt's freshmen are as good as we think they can be and that's adding in aaron neesman too who's the four star you know it's let's not forget about the four star guy you know below the five stars (laughs) Um, but you have a guy like him who just can flat out knock down, shoot threes. Um, he's versatile. He's athletic. He can play a lot of positions just like Bryce Drew wants in that system. Uh, if Vanderbilt's freshmen are as good as I think they're going to be, I could see them really making a run um, and having a chance. I don't think they're going to win the SEC, you know, like Tennessee did. I think that's going to be hard to ask of anybody else minus probably – you know, being able to overcome teams that, that are near the top is going to be tough this year uh, that we think, at least going into the season, you know, in the preseason here, your top four or five teams may be tough to overcome those particular teams. But I do think Vanderbilt's got a lot to like uh, going into this year for as good as Garland and Shitsu could be. Uh, so that's one of the teams, you know, elsewhere, it's hard probably to find another team you feel like could do that. I mean, we haven't talked about Alabama uh I'm still probably higher on Alabama than most people are just because everyone's going to look at them and say, well, Colin Sexton's gone. How good can they be? But they get everybody back pretty much besides them. They get Tevin Mack. Um, They're really good on defense. If they can just get past those offensive uh, sort of problems that they've had, even with Sexton on the floor, they've just got to find consistency there. Alabama's deep enough. They play good enough defense. You know, we look at a team like South Carolina, how far defense has taken them in the past. If 
Alabama can be really good on defense and just keep their offensive consistent to where they have four or five guys that can score in double figures on any given night, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of move up uh, far as well. Yeah, no, I mean, South Carolina is another team that played yep. pretty well in February. Yep. Um, as, as Frank Martin teams tend to do, and, and you know, you never know. Uh, I don't think there's enough top-end talent there. The, I guess the last question would be just about the, the, the new hires. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the record in, in a bunch of places. I think I wrote it Saturday down south that I thought, I thought the Kermit Davis hire was better than George's hire. I know it's a controversial take. <laughs> Um, but, but let me tell you my thought on it, Blake, and then I want to hear, you know, your kind of, your kind of view. It's just that if you had a, if you had to pick a program in the SEC that from a facility standpoint and from an institutional commitment standpoint, um, is a little bit behind still, that's, that, that could be elite because their recruiting base, it would be Georgia. And then you have a hire like Crean who had everything he needed to win at Indiana and was up and down. Right, they were great, yeah. and then they and then they weren't. Um, whereas you're, you know, a guy like Kermit Davis. The problem Kermit might have is is Memphis now, and how yeah. he recruits. Um, but but kind of what's your view on the on the two new hires, and how does Crean change things for Georgia? Because they they always feel like kind of a sleeping giant in this sport, just because Atlanta's right there. Yeah, I think that's always been sort of the outside view, and the problem is that that hasn't always been the inside. You know, the people on the outside have seen it, but it's like the administration at times and just they haven't always thought of it that way because the focus has been so much on football that it's like, well, guess what? We've seen so many programs now around the SEC realize you can win in both. You can win in basketball. You can win in football. You can win in baseball. Um, you can win in a lot of different sports. And I think that commitment is what's most important here. Uh, hiring Kareem was the first step, I think, towards saying, look, we have a coach that's been to a Final Four, and we have a coach that we feel like is finally, you know, we're finally ready to be all in. We want to make basketball a top priority, and if they are going to do that, then I think he can win there, and I think he can probably win maybe quicker than Kermit Davis may be able to at Ole Miss because I think Georgia's roster this year – even though they lose Yontay Mayton, I think they've got a decent nucleus. They've just got to find somebody to be their next Mayton or, or J.J. Frazier, which is not an easy order to do. But um, I think they've got they've got options. And I think when you look at Kermit Davis, I mean, it, it was time. Like, it was time for him to, to finally, you know, go somewhere like this and have a chance to kind of put his mark on an SEC program, being familiar with the conference in the past. Um, I, I just I love that hire. I love what Ole Miss has done from a basketball standpoint. I'll say this, um, you know, until I can't say it anymore. But <laughs> I, I don't think Andy Kennedy got anywhere near the amount of credit he deserved for completely changing the entire landscape of that program. Even if it Me didn't neither. mean, yeah, and, and even if it didn't mean winning NCAA tournament games or getting there every single year, he did things that absolutely had to be done if Ole Miss wanted to be a competitive basketball program in the SEC. And I think that's going to pay off in the long run. The pavilion is absolutely beautiful. Um, Their facilities now are so much better. And I just think both coaches are in really good situations. And I just – I'm very excited because it just adds to that coaching depth in the SEC. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, that that, kind of – 
that's a that's a really good description of the Georgia situation, especially. I hadn't thought of it that way, but the, the yeah. sort of inside outside yeah. uh, makes a lot of sense. Well, Blake, we, we appreciate your time. We hope you'll you'll come back on and, and talk to us uh, you know, throughout throughout the year a little bit and um, everybody go and go and follow Blake, read his work because this is I mean, it's amazing. The SEC might be the best basketball league in the country this season. It's gonna it's gonna be in that conversation. It will be, and yeah, Neil. No, I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed it, and at any time, uh, it's it's like I said, it's uh, it's fun to talk SEC basketball now. That hasn't always been the case, but uh, I think there's there's certainly a lot more interest now, and it should be a, a fun season. All right, appreciate you. Thanks, man. Yep. Take care.